Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey there, everybody. I'm Thomas Frank, and welcome once again to the College Info Geek Podcast. This show is designed to help you become a better student, more efficient studier, better learner. Also, it's here to help you get jobs you want, manage your money better, and basically just win at college, quote unquote. And uh, you know, the thing about college is it's got a lot of classes. And sometimes you don't want to take certain classes, or sometimes maybe you want to take classes, but the school has decided that they are not available that semester, and you're going to have to wait. So what do you do in that situation? Well, today's guest on the show uh, found a really cool way to deal with that situation. His name is Jay Cross, and he's the founder of DoItYourselfDegree.com. And on this episode, Jay is going to talk about how when he was a senior, his college actually made pretty much all the classes left in his major unavailable. And they didn't really tell him how long he would have to wait until they'd be available again. So what he actually found that he could do was uh, test out of almost all these classes. And he was able to finish his entire senior year in six months through testing out for much less money. And then today's episode, he's going to show you several different ways that you can test out of classes you don't want to or can't take as a student, which could actually save you a, uh, to use the technical term here, buttload of money in college. So that's what's coming up. If you want to get my book, 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades While Studying Less for free. That's right. Zero dollars. You can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash book. I put a ton of time into writing this thing. Let me tell you lots of nights trying to hit my 500 word uh, writing goal, which I did. And that helped me get it out. So I'm really proud of the book. And uh, a lot of people have downloaded it and said they liked it. So hopefully if you're looking for ways to become a better student, more efficient and better at earning good grades, that will help you out. Also, if you have questions about the college experience, you can email me at thomas at collegeinfogeek.com and I will do my best to answer them either in uh in this show or through blog posts or some other capacity or if i have time i will try to get back to you personally uh, if you want to subscribe to the show you can go to cigpodcast.com and scroll down to episode 49 to find the show notes which also has a link to subscribe review the show and do whatever you want to do so that is all i have to say for this episode we are climbing ever closer to episode 50 i'm not exactly sure what i'm going to do for episode 50 but i better figure it out because it's coming up soon but anyway this is 49 and let's get into this interview with jay All right, welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you for having me. Hey, man, good to, good to talk to you. So how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Um, I am happy to be up uh, early in the morning, and I'm excited for this interview. Yeah, dude. So are you getting into early mornings then? I am, yeah. You know, I, I went through too long of a phase of getting a late kind of haphazard start of my day and found that it was derailing my productivity and robbing me of extra performance and results. And it's really been a godsend to start adopting a, a firm morning routine like this. Oh man, I think we are on the same path right now. Cause I, I was in that same spot. I was like, I, I keep getting up and I'm like, uh, you know, it's, I, it's eight. I immediately go to email and just end up sitting on the computer till 10. I have to fix it. So I've been like really yeah, into morning good. routines. So you do, uh, 
do-it-yourself degree, right? Correct. Yep. So uh, to, to do a degree for myself, do I need to know any woodworking skills? You don't, <laughs> although it is a nice added bonus. Uh, maybe that's extra credit to use educational parlance. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, so you know, I introduced you on the, in the intro for the podcast, which I will be recording later. So, um, <laughs> but just to, just to kind of get an overview, what is do-it-yourself degree? Like, I heard your interview on Art of Charm, I think it was. Right, right. Uh, for the people who have never heard of you before, don't even know what a DIY degree is, uh, what's the gist of it? Um, so the best way to explain is probably mm-hmm. to give a quick overview of how I came upon the DIY degree and started it. Um, so I have always been somebody who struggled in a traditional classroom environment, kind of a, a classic ADHD case. Um, I didn't like sitting still and listening to long lectures and being forced to plot along at a teacher's pace. And I always sort of struggled in a traditional classroom environment. Um, but when I got to college, I arrived at a point where I was about three quarters of the way done with my bachelor's degree, which was a, a great accomplishment for someone who struggles in the classroom. And I'm stoked and excited about being so close to the finish line. Um, when all of a sudden the university I was attending, the University of Connecticut, uh, stopped offering the remaining like 10 courses that I needed to finish up my degree and be done. Oh, um, and this is where a DIY degree was born because okay. what I did rather than waiting for the school to offer those classes again is I started researching ways that I could take control of the process and earn those credits and accelerate and take ownership of the rest of my education. And I found this uh, test out strategy where uh, instead of sitting in a classroom and spending lots of time and money to learn that way, you could teach yourself through any means that you felt comfortable with and take a rigorous exam to prove that you knew the material uh, Mm -hmm. the same way that anybody in a classroom would have to learn it. And once you pass those exams, which are very inexpensive and self-paced, you earn credit, actual, official, recognized college credit for what you taught yourself. And I thought that was so cool as kind of an autodidact, uh, self-directed learner that you could do this and actually get official recognition for it. Um, So to make a long story short, I finished up my own degree through this um, DIY degree test-out method. And I started a community around it because I knew that there had to be a lot of students um, who were like me or who were in my position and would love the opportunity to take charge of their college education the way that I did. And so um, it sort of grew from there and it started as a little side project. And now it's my full time career, which is awesome. Dude, that's awesome. So your entire fourth year of college was just like self-directed classes then or just like studying and tests. There was like no class time. No, no, exactly. I, wow. I earned, I, I believe the exact number of credits was I, I earned about 36 credits in under six months time by just like relentlessly studying, taking crazy copious amounts of notes, reviewing and just doing it all on my own, which was um, exciting because it doesn't just save you time and money. It also really lets you feel like you're in charge of the process. Like we all hear this phrase, go get an education, get an education. And I like to think of DIY degree as taking your education and really, you know, mm. asserting control over the process. I actually really like what you just said. Yeah, because, you know, education is it's like it's experience at the end of the day, right? So totally. Just using the verb get is more like I'm going to go absorb knowledge that someone throws at me instead of I think so. uncovering it for myself. Right. Totally. So um, my roommate, let's see here. Let me, I'm trying to think back here. I think it was last summer. Uh, he wanted to graduate early. Mm-hmm. And there was one required class that he just would not have had like had time to take. 
So I think what he ended up doing was going to the professor and saying, hey, man, uh, it was a networking class, like a computer right. networking class. And he had already done a two-year degree for computer networking. Nothing transferred, but he knew all the stuff. Sure. So he actually asked his professor, hey, I already know everything. Is there any way I can test out of this class? So I think the professor like wrote him an unofficial test to test mm-hmm. out. So that was, I think it was like just through the professor, but are there like official ways that are like, like programs set up for anyone to come and do this for any class? Yes, there are. So, so before I go into those, I'll just point out that what your friend did is awesome. And that's, that's what's known as a challenge exam where Hmm. you go specifically to a certain professor and say, you know, there isn't a ready-made test for me to take, but if there were, I could pass it. So could you please make one for me? That's an awesome technique known as challenge exams. And I encourage students in a traditional university setting to try to do that when possible. Um, with that said, there are like nationally standardized ready-made exams that cover a wide range of subjects. So the one that most people might be familiar with is the, the CLEP exam, mm. uh, which stands for a college-level examination program. It's actually made by the same organization that makes the SATs. Oh, okay. Um, and, and CLEP exams kind of cover your lower level subjects that you might take in the first one or two years of college. So like your basic math, your English 101, your intro to psychology. Um, so CLEP is a great way to sort of knock those credits out if you feel comfortable studying for them on your own. Um, another provider that is nationally standardized and pretty widely available is called DSST. Um, and they cover some of the same subjects that CLEP does, but they also cover a lot of upper level subjects that are more advanced material, things you might encounter in the third or fourth year of college. And there's a couple other providers as well, but the the idea that a test out student would want to keep in mind is that you sort of look at all of the exam providers that are out there as like pieces of a puzzle, right? Like your goal is to try to self-direct as much of your education as possible. And all of these different exams that you have to choose from are like tools in your arsenal for um, for doing that and putting all the pieces together in a way that adds up to a degree. Cool, cool. Okay, so I'm guessing that for for you, it was mostly the DSST type test since it was the last year of your schooling? Yes, exactly. I, I was pretty much long done with the basic intro level courses, so I had to take the upper level exams, exactly. Okay, so this might be a stupid question, uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm what to ask it anyway. I heard about CLEP a lot in high school. Right. Uh, never heard a thing about it in college. So... And I just want to make sure I would assume that you could do it whenever you want, but is CLEP like limited to high school students or can you just take a CLEP test whenever you feel that you're ready, no matter what you, you're in? You can actually take a CLEP test to, to the best of my knowledge at any time. You don't need to be enrolled mm-hmm. at a college. You don't need to be a certain age. Um, you may need to be a certain age in order to transfer the credits into a college. Okay. But if, if you're a high school student who's very ambitious and trying to get ahead of the ball, you can certainly take these tests and accrue the credits in your name and have them waiting for you um, when mm. you're ready to enroll, which is a tremendous advantage. Um, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you heard about CLEP in high school. I mean, I, I know high schools are good about telling kids about AP exams and things like mm. that. Um, but that's great. Yeah. Any high school student who's hearing about CLEP, I, I would recommend that they take advantage. Yeah. I'm not sure if my high school actually told me about CLEP. Um, for two years in high school, my, my school offered like a, a dual enrollment pro- program thing where mm-hmm. you could go to the community college in town for half the day and do like a set curriculum of a few different classes and get the college credit for them. Gotcha. So maybe I heard about it in that or maybe through reading like Naked Roommate or something like that on prep for college. But yeah, I had heard about it and I just... When I got to college, like no one ever said anything about it, which right. it makes sense. I suppose. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit of conflict of interest for the university. 
But yeah, it's cool. And um, so you said you don't have to be enrolled. Could you be somebody who's just not in school at all and just start taking CLEP tests and accruing credits for maybe a time when you do want to go to school? Yes, yes, you can. Um, and in fact, a lot of students that come my way end up going that route where they're not necessarily committed on which college they want to go to just yet or exactly when they're going to feel ready to enroll, mm-hmm. but they don't want to make zero progress in their studies in the meantime. So it's kind of a, a low stress, self-managed way to just do the work you feel comfortable doing, pass the tests that interest you or that you feel are going to be meaningful later on. And it allows you to just have those credits in your back pocket for whenever you're ready to officially enroll at a university. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, so my university I know had like a requirement that like some, some percent of your credits had to be done at, like it said, like 60 credits, I think had to be done at Iowa state or maybe like 20 credits at 300 level had to be done there. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, that would, that would kind of leave out the, the option of doing all your classes at community college or something. Um, does taking a CLEP test count towards your credit requirement or would you have to do all those credits and actually sit in the class at a university and then do your CLEPs um, like in addition? It's a great question. So what you're referring to, that limitation that a school puts in place is known as a residency requirement. Students mm-hmm. might, might hear that term when they go down this road. Um, so typically CLEP credits and test out credits do not, um, do not count as credits you're taking at the school. So in other words, if you if you transfer into XYZ State University with 30 CLEP credits, um, that's going to count against your transfer limit. And you okay. you sort of want to be strategic when you're picking the school that you go to. If, if, if you're somebody who um, is committed to following a test out strategy, you want to make sure you're looking at schools that are flexible and friendly toward the approach. And uh, toward that aim, I'm actually about three weeks away from finishing up a database, which I'm going to be making available for free, um, that lists every single university's test out policies as far as the amount of credit you can earn there, what restrictions they place on it, um, the specific types of exams that they allow or don't allow. Uh, Because the truth is a lot of this information varies on a school-by-school basis. And Mm. um, if you are aware of how, say, if you're considering three different schools – if you're aware of how each school treats testing out and what they allow you to do, um, that could be the difference between tens of thousands of dollars and months or years of time um, that stays with you or goes to the school. Um, so it's a great question, and it, it's worth doing your research on the school that you have in mind if this is what you're going to do with your studies. Okay, yeah. And I think one other thing I'll say is uh, when I was a student, I had like an Excel sheet that planned out my entire education. It right. changed a lot over the years as I got interested in different things and decided to drop certain things. Um, but it was really helpful in keeping, like, keeping my my mind focused on the exact path of classes I needed to take. And as sure. a result, I never had to like wait a semester for a class or anything like that. And I would say, like, p- for people listening, if you want to do this, something like that would probably be doubly important for a test out strategy because you want to know all the different requirements and intricate little things that you need to take care of. Yeah, there's a lot of analysis that go. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. It's it's not mm. so hard that you know an intelligent student cannot right. figure it out. But um, but yeah, definitely a little planning goes a long way, mm. um, especially when it comes to the possibility that you might change majors or something like that, or the fact that school policies themselves are always in a state of flux and always changing. Um, <laughs> so there's definitely some spreadsheet math that goes along with this, which I find kind of interesting as like a nerdy little component to to all of this. Um, but yeah, yeah, you want to be strategic and analytical about it. And if you are, then it's going to make testing out a lot more fruitful for you. 
Cool. So, so you've, you've made a do it yourself degree. And so that's kind of like a big compendium of knowledge on this, but when you were going through it, I'm assuming there wasn't like one source of information online where right. there are people you had to talk to at your university to sort of like learn what to do, or maybe like gatekeepers you had to deal with to get this done. Yeah. So there was a lot of like loose threads online as far as information that I had to spend a lot of time and energy pulling together in, into a system. Um, because if, if if all you have is the abstract idea that, hey, this is something you can do, but there's no specifics, you're a lot more likely to just forget about it and get overwhelmed and not turn it into reality. So I had to go through countless web forums and blogs, and I would sometimes reach out to students that had done this themselves and ask them questions to clarify it all in my own mind. And then, as you alluded to, when I actually um, was at the school – I would need to speak with, you know, administrators and kind of run like, hey, you know, this is my plan. This is my spreadsheet of what I think um, my degree plan should look like. Can you verify for me that this will, in fact, you know, give me the credits that I'm looking for? Hmm. And that requires some back and forth and course correction when they say, well, yes to this, but no to this. And um, it is kind of a back and forth when you're validating your degree plan. Okay. Um, but I actually found that to be a rewarding component of the process because just like teaching yourself the coursework is getting your your education instead or taking your education instead of getting it jumping through all these hoops and clarifying all these loose ends and questions kind of invests you in the process and when you actually get the ball rolling and get the green light from everybody that this is going to work for you you're like yeah like i laid down this path on my own for my own benefit um by my own hand and that kind of feels cool i think yeah there's a lot of uh, accomplishment there yeah totally plus you, you just get the you get the experience of having to contact people and set things up and, you know, deal with people to, you know, get yourself to a certain place. And I think a lot of students don't have to do that. It's right. kind of just like, you know, a lot of students like the parents do the FAFSA, you sign up for college, <laughs> you do your sign up for classes on the online and that's kind of it, you know? Yeah, it is. And, and I think, and I think this is sort of an entrepreneurial approach to it where it's, it's actually good preparation for becoming a success in the working world because whether you start a startup or go get a corporate job or whatever, the reality is there's not going to be a clear-cut path for you to follow to greatness after mm-hmm. college. It's going to be up to you to carve it no matter what your skills or your passions are or what industry you go into. And so I think that um, in some sense, the DIY degree approach of having to clarify your college path prepares you for a whole career of needing to blaze your own path in the work world. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I guess, have you, did you do anything with like uh, independent studies as well, or is it just test outs for you? Well, as far as at the college level, the way that I earned credits, it was, it was purely via test out. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I, what I'd like to share for other students who might be, um, you know, tackling this from a different perspective is testing out actually isn't the only way to earn college credit for what you teach yourself. Mm-hmm. So another great method that people might be interested in is something called portfolio learning assessment. Okay. And this is a technique where let's say you are studying something that there is not a ready-made examination for like um, object-oriented programming in computer science, mm-hmm. right? But you know this because you've been a self-taught coder and you, there's no reason for you to sit through the class. What you could do with portfolio learning assessment is essentially build a portfolio to prove that you've mastered the material. So it might include a working program or a debugged application or um, a narrative essay stating what you know about the field and sort of tying your knowledge together in a package that an evaluator can look at and see that, yeah, this, this person really does know this stuff. There's no reason for them to sit in the classroom. 
um, and it's very inexpensive. And that's a, another kind of creative, self-directed way to get official credit for what you already know. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably more of a, a pure independent study approach than taking mm-hmm. the exam. But it's a great um, tool to have in the repertoire of a DIY degree student. Yeah. So uh, that brings one question that I don't think I asked with regards to CLEP, with regards to, was it DSST you said? Yeah, exactly. DSST, uh, portfolio learning. We talked about how individual schools have different requirements for their residency period or or residency period. Was it called? The residency requirement. Residency requirement. Um, Do different schools like, are CLEP tests and DSST tests and portfolio learning, are they universally accepted um, within the bounds of the residency or do certain schools just not accept certain uh, types of these tests? Well, so schools will look at these credits. They'll typically group CLEPs, DSSTs, portfolios, that kind of stuff under the banner of what they call non-traditional credit. Okay. And any non-traditional credit you earn counts against your transfer limit. So if the school says you can transfer in a maximum of 60 credits um, and you earn 30 credits through CLEPs and DSSTs or whatever, that counts against the transfer limit. So, so So the school doesn't treat that credit as you, even if you're enrolled there while you earn it, they still treat it as if you earned it outside of their institution, which I yeah. think is kind of scammy and not cool, but that's that for whatever, for better or for worse, that's the way it's treated. Right. So let's talk about like individual classes. So, um, as an example, there was a, a higher level calculus class at the community college that I took mm-hmm. in college. And the year that I came into school, it did count to replace the business calculus course, which was easier Right. Um, for the business program. And then a couple of years after I had been done with that, I heard from new business students coming in saying they had removed that transfer. So now the uh, standard calculus class at the community college no longer replaced the business calc class at Iowa State, and they had to take that class. So like, say I take uh, the CLEP for calculus one. Right. Are there schools that are going to be like, oh, well, that that CLEP doesn't replace our calculus or will they just say, oh, it's calculus, you know, you clept it. Is it going to be like more likely to replace a specific required course than a community college class might be? That's a really good question. So so this goes back again to the importance of getting your plan approved before you kind of put the shovel into the dirt, so to speak, mm-hmm. because I've seen examples of exactly what you're talking about, where um, a school will actually specify that, okay, yeah, you, you may have passed the CLEP exam for calculus, but we're not going to accept that to replace our calculus requirement. Right. But other schools are more than happy to accept it. So it, it varies on a school-by-school basis, and I, I always tell students that before – you know, if you have questions about the uh, likelihood that an exam will be counted the way you want it to be, go talk to, to your academic advisor first and make sure because the, the worst thing to do would be to spend all of that time and effort passing the test and then later find out that it's only going to be an elective and it's not going to satisfy the requirement. Yeah, exactly. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I'm glad I planned for in high school when I did the dual credit thing because um, I was facing and I was facing a choice of two different programs. One being like computer networking, one being business, just general business accounting, right. business law, that kind of stuff. And uh, the MIS degree at Iowa State, you know, it's kind of kind of integrating both of those. I ended up doing the business one, and it was a very good thing that I did because most of that business program transferred in perfectly. Right. Most of the networking program would not have transferred in because the MIS degree really only has one networking class. And there's yeah. no equivalent between like Cisco routers and, and all that kind of stuff. On Linux going over to general networking, but like mm-hmm. counting business law, all that stuff, macroeconomics transferred in perfectly. And I ended up being able to skip like half my freshman year 
Just awesome yeah, stuff. exactly. And, and, and even if, um, e- even if that stuff wasn't going to transfer in, you, you'd rather know that up front and be mm-hmm. able to correct course and not be blindsided by it after the fact when you put all that work in. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to put all that effort in and then just have it be like, it's not for nothing cause you learned, but sure it is. It's for nothing when it comes to the, uh, the institution's point of view and the time you have to spend in school still. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So totally. let's talk about that time investment. So how much time and money did you actually save by doing this? Did you actually save time? Did you, were you actually able to graduate early? Oh my early? gosh. Yeah, I saved so much time. So I I later found out, remember I, I mentioned that my university wasn't offering those remaining 10 classes that I needed. Right. I later found out that if I had waited for them and not done any testing out and just sat on the sidelines and waited, I probably would have waited almost two years for all of those classes to be offered again, which is ludicrous. Wow. Oh, so it wasn't a point. It wasn't like a situation where they got rid of your major. They just stopped offering the classes that for a major that they were still offering. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was the most bizarre thing in the world. And when I went to the school for answers to press them for like, why? What's going on? When will they be back? It was like just I I was met with total bureaucratic resistance. And it was so frustrating, you know. And so I it, it does. It never made any rational sense to me. But I later found out that that would have been the waiting period. So the fact is, by using the test out strategy, I finished those courses in about six months time and all told probably saved a year and a half of just pure waiting for nothing. So Um, even if you, even if those classes had not been taken away and you had gone on to do your like planned four years, you still saved about a semester's worth of time. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're basically able to graduate ahead of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if, uh, you know, in all candor, if I had known about this earlier in my college career, I would have done as much of my degree as possible this way, because it's yeah. such a, a natural fit with a person who likes to learn on their own and, and moves quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you asked about money. I probably saved, I, I itemized this a, a while ago. I probably saved about $30,000 in tuition Wow! because that's the other benefit. We really didn't clarify this, but these exams, the CLEPS and DSSTs and uh, the portfolios are pretty comparable to this as well. They typically cost about $80 per three credit course. So, okay. so a course that might have taken, uh, or rather that might have cost uh, $3,000, $5,000, whatever your school charges, mm-hmm. you knock out for about $80, which is obviously an insanely huge cost reduction. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Yeah. And so I, you know, with that, I was able to earn those remaining 36 credits or so for like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, which right. is nothing. So, um, did you end up like buying the textbooks for that class? Like what materials did you buy to sort of aid your study since you weren't in in class? I, I sort of took a hybrid approach where for, for certain subjects, I, I would just get the textbook because it lent itself to textbook learning. Um, for certain subjects, I would look at like online MOOCs, like Udacity courses and YouTube videos and stuff. And I sort of, um, cultivated a variety of study resources, which, I think, again, is, is part of the allure of the process that you, you know, you don't have to learn the exact way that you're instructed to. If you find a better source of knowledge or something that clicks for you, um, it doesn't really matter where you're getting it as long as you get the learning in the end. Mm. And so I did that. And basically, um, I got into a nice rhythm where it took me about two to three weeks in between tests to be ready for the next one. Um, which was kind of like an adrenaline rush for me. Like it almost taps into the same part of your brain that is excited when you play a video game and you get a high score because you go into the test center and the tests are computerized. So, um, you, you know, it's timed and you get your score at the end right away. And you're like, hell yeah. Like this is totally like in my grasp and I'm in charge. And, um, 
so it, it was just a lot of fun and it was it was cool and i think really instills a sense of agency and ownership that lasts a long time so wait you got a class done every two to three weeks Is that what you're yes saying? There, there were, there were a couple of classes that took a little bit longer than that. Like I'm not really a, a great math student and I needed mm. probably four to five weeks in between for those because I struggle with math. Okay. Um, but for subjects that are kind of in my wheelhouse, like marketing management, um, you know, uh, accounting, things like that, I was able to move through those subjects pretty quickly because, um, you're not limited by anything. If you're, and I think we all have subjects that come naturally to us. Mm. And one of the benefits of this is you can move through those subjects quickly. You don't need to be artificially delayed by the, you know, need for other students to catch up or anything like that. So that's true. Yeah. And I love the self-paced nature of it. So did you do just one class at a time or did you juggle multiple at a time? So there were a couple of courses that I needed to complete that had natural subject overlap and that enabled me to batch them together. So the the example that comes to mind is business law one and business law two. Mm. Um, I studied for those basically in tandem simultaneously okay. and scheduled both tests on the same day so that I walked out, um, you know, in about two and a half hours time with six credits in one shot. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the things that I try to help my students do is identify natural subject overlap between different exams right. so that they can like, you know, take advantage of the fact that they're engaging the same parts of their brain and, um, you know, utilize that momentum to accelerate their education even more. Yeah. And, uh, one good thing to note is like certain subjects really build off of, uh, the previous material. So like right. in the book I just wrote, I was talking about math and how you can't really go learn calculus until you learn trig, but mm-hmm. On the other hand, history, you can learn the history of the Mongols before you learn the history of the Yuan Dynasty or flip thought. It doesn't really matter, you know? Totally, you know, totally. It, it's, sort of, it's like a puzzle coming together. So if you were taking like Western Civ 1, Western Civ 2, you could probably do those concurrently. It'd be fine. Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually a, a good example of a batch that I commonly um, refer to my students. Western Civ 1 and 2, U.S. History 1 and 2. Um, and anything that involves a hierarchy of knowledge is kind of a, a prime candidate for uh, batching your studying mm-hmm. and just accelerating yourself even more. Yeah, but for the things like maybe math, you want to start with the the foundation and start building yeah. from there. Don't Absolutely. try to go into calculus before you know trigger or geometry. That's not going to end well. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so one thing that came to mind when I was talking about the textbooks that you bought or the learning resources when you're when you're prepping for a CLEP test, when you're prepping for a DSST test, um, mm-hmm. is it like you just get the name of the test and then you have to just go find everything? Or do they give you like a, a program of study or maybe like a list of things you'll be tested on? Like is there yeah, some they actually, guidance? Yes, they actually give you a topic outline. So it's funny. I, okay. I, had a student, I, I had a student email me yesterday scared going, oh my God, do I have to read the whole textbook from cover to cover and I'm never <laughs> going to do that? And I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. They give you a topic outline that gives you kind of the core uh, topic areas that you're going to be tested in. Mm-hmm. And it also tells you, uh, crucially, how much of your grade is com- is represented by each topic area. So it kind of gives you like an 80-20 um, rank-ordered prioritization of what really? you should be studying in the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I encourage students to do that. Um, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 principle and that, you know, the, the bulk of your results come from a minority of what you do and focus on. Yeah. And, and I definitely found that to be true with preparing for these exams. You know, if you're, if, if you're strategic and you study um, with the topic outline and kind of bias your note-taking and reflection on the areas that matter most, 
you're not going to find yourself stressed out on test day. I've, I've always sort of felt that people who said, oh, I'm not a good test taker or I have test anxiety. Um, I know people have anxiety, but I think a lot of that comes from just not studying effectively. Right. Um, and if you did study effectively, I think a lot of quote unquote poor test takers might surprise themselves with how good they can uh, perform on an exam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big part of it. Part of it is just getting to the point where you know the right material very, very well. So you don't freeze up in sure. the test as well. So Absolutely. I want to take this to the extreme because I mean, you probably are aware of Scott Young doing the yes. entire MIS computer science curriculum in a year of which I don't think, I don't know if he did CLEP tests or I think he just self-taught and didn't really get a credential. But, he just self-taught. Yeah, Scott and I are friends, and I'm actually taking a, uh, a a pilot course that he's offering right now. So I'm I'm very familiar with his work. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's he's a cool guy, and that always like inspired me. Like you can do a whole entire college curriculum in one year. Mm-hmm. So have you seen people like go the entire test route, like an entire or uh, how much how much of a degree have you seen people do with tests? I guess one hundred percent. So are there schools where you can do it entirely, like no residency, no class time, and still get the degree? Yes. So there, there are a handful of schools that I refer people to who are looking to go that route. Um, okay. the, the one that I stand by most strongly is called Excelsior College. Mm. Um, and the, the benefit of a school like that is, well, for one thing, they're 100% regionally accredited, legitimate, and above the board. So there's nothing illegitimate about the school. It's just an online university. Mm. But what they allow you to do that other schools won't is just as you said, they don't have a residency requirement. So they, in fact, Excelsior's motto is what you learned matters more than how you learned it. And so, love that. It, absolutely. So they're, they're, they're very welcoming of uh, testing out portfolio assessment, creative ways of demonstrating your knowledge and getting validated for it. And so I've, I actually have students in my program who um, will pursue, say, a business degree or something like that, and they will follow the test out approach for 100% of it. And um, it's, it's remarkable to hear the way that these people are perceived in the job world, especially, um, because once they, it's, it's kind of a weird route, uh, route to get your degree, right? Like most people, if you tell them about this, they haven't heard of it before. It sounds a little weird. Um, but when you explain it to somebody, it, I think it kind of says something about you as an individual. Like this is the kind of guy who's going to like figure it out and go above and beyond and not yeah. be limited with convention or dogma or anything like that. Um, and it, it kind of positions you in the work world as like a super self-motivated creative problem solver. Um, and that's what people who do this 100% of the way clearly are. So I'm excited to help them. Actually, yeah. So that was my next question. Like, how are these, you know, how are these people perceived in the workplace? Like, what is a, an employer going to say if you come to them and say, hey, I figured my entire degree out myself, took no classes, <laughs> you know, so, I, so and I so would I've think that would be a good thing, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've got one student in particular and there's, there's several more like him, but there's one that will always email me because, um, when his boss has visitors to the office from like another branch of the organization or whatever. They call this student in to explain what he did with his degree. And he's like, don't you wish everybody in your office was like this guy, you know, really? because this dude like had a problem. And whereas any number of other people might've just complained or sat and stewed in frustration, this dude just totally took charge and did something about it. And it's cool and it's efficient. Um, and I hear that pretty much universally from people who actually follow through and, and get to the, the graduation stage this way, um, people are blown away by it because it's just unconventional and it's cool and it's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I freaking love that. Uh, one of the things I talk about a lot on my site is this concept of being a solution finder. 
or just being the kind of person who like if you if you're presented with a problem you're going to find the answer and when i worked as a tech support dude it was like i i had to become that it was my job but i was always like after after doing that job i would always be kind of astounded by people who would say oh i don't know how to do this and then just sort of give up yeah a lot of students would do that and i'm like well you could just pull out google right now and and type that question in the search bar instead of just sitting there and uh you know, I, as an, as somebody who now I have two team members on, you know, that work for me and I've sort of adopted the mindset of the business owner, um, thinking about who I would want to work for me, you right. know, you offloading my responsibility is stressful because I'm like, I don't know how, if it's going to get done. I don't know how much this person's going to have to come ask me questions, bug me, waste my time and, and my money. And right. knowing a kind of like the kind of person like this is going to just take the assignment and figure out how to get it done without needing to be babied the entire way, I am much more apt to bring them on to my team. <laughs> and I yeah, think most business be, owners are like that. Totally, because I think, you know, anybody can go into an interview and say that they're self-motivated, that they're driven. You know, it costs nothing to speak those words through your mouth. Mm-hmm. But I think doing something like this or, or a challenge like what Scott Young did, very similar, um, I think it, it lends credence to those words and suggests that you actually back it up with action. Yeah. Um, and that you're not just self-describing you're actually accurately portraying what you're going to be like in the workplace so totally yeah cool so um you know this has been an awesome interview so there was a blog post i saw on your site recently and i wanted to bring it up because i'm interested in your thoughts on this so you have a blog post called the myth the high paying major yes i love this so what is this all about i'm guessing it's kind of like deconstructing this notion that like engineers are going to make more than english majors and that kind of thing yeah, exactly. So if I can if I can digress for a second and tell you kind of like the genesis of why I'm interested in this topic. So mm-hmm. um, I was interviewed last year on Fox Business Network about the DIY degree. They were doing a week-long thing for education. And the, one of the experts who was interviewed before me was this older guy who kind of embodies like the typical outlook on education. And he went on TV and said, listen – Um, If you're majoring in a soft subject like psychology or English or whatever, then like, you know, you're basically worthless and like you're shirking your duty to get America back on its feet again and you're not getting a real education and just all of these like really condescending and and dismissive and insulting um, uh, statements about soft skill majors. And I thought that was so outdated and wrong because I personally know people in my own life who have majored in those quote-unquote worthless majors, who are amazing people, who have great careers, um, who have found ways to parlay their supposedly useless degree into something remarkable. And I, I believe in spreading that perspective because I don't think it's the degree that markets you. I think it's you who markets the degree and markets mm. yourself. Yes. You know? So, you know, like just one example that I could give that many of your listeners, readers might be familiar with, um, a guy named Ramit Sethi who runs I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Mm -hmm. That guy was a psychology major. He's running a massively successful business. And who's ever going to look at him and say, you wasted your time in college? Yeah. You know, like that's an outlier example. I understand not everybody's going to be Ramit, but it demonstrates the point that you don't need to be painted into a corner by assumptions about your major. And it's you who should be defining the value of your work, not some outdated model of what's a, a worthwhile major is right yeah i really like to you know tell people your degree is not you like right you are a college student but that's not all you are so what you end up with as the reward from that four years or whatever however long you spend in college that degree that isn't the representation of every skill and everything you have to offer it's just mm-hmm. one thing 
and you should just pull whatever is useful out of it and apply that towards your goals. So if you're an English major, you're going to be an amazing writer and you could apply that to being a copywriter or an author or any number of different things. If you're a psychology major, I know Ramit does like ridiculous research and has tons of data on his users and he's probably able to use some of his psychology knowledge and apply it to his business, not just telling people on a couch how to live their lives. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think a lot of these, these Fox business talking or talking head guys, they'll just like look at macro stats, like this many people graduated with engineering degrees. Obviously they are going to sit at a desk and do CAD drawings. And the people with English degrees are going to be in Starbucks. Like they just generalize everything. So yeah, they're exactly. They're looking at the data and then they're just like rigidly typecasting people into a linear career path that they are in no way limited to, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're just taking the most superficial interpretation of that data that I think you can possibly take. Um, so yeah, so the myth of the, the high paying majors yeah, is, is a blog post of mine that basically says, um, ignore that, just define success for yourself, make the most of whatever you studied. Or you know what? If you majored in something that you're not interested in, in anymore or that is not helping you in your career, nothing says you have to stay with that. You, right. can, you can easily, you know, perhaps not easily, but you can certainly develop new skills. Um, and if anybody's interested in that perspective, I, I wrote another blog post that you can Google on Brazen Careerist called Why English Majors Do, do Not Have to Finish Last. Okay. Um, and it'll sort of give you some actual reframing scripts and tactics for uh, breaking out of the, um, the box of that so-called worthless major. So I hope everybody takes that message to heart. There's nothing less true than the idea that your major is worthless. Yeah, I'm actually Googling that right now. Or it's, was it on Brazen or Huffington Post? Maybe um, they republished it. Huffington Post might have syndicated it. It was originally on Brazen. Okay, cool. I will link to the original one in the show notes, actually, because that is very, uh, very interesting to me. And it's it's one thing that I have been telling people: like, your major isn't. It's not everything. <laughs> so, right. Uh, I liked what Cal Newport told me about majors: just like pick something you're interested in, go really hard on it, just do really right. well in it, and then you don't have to just like follow the exact career path. Um, he talks about in, in so good, they can't ignore you this adjacent possible area where you can yes. take your, 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 your existing skill set and then move into something tangential that's related, but not the same. You know, you might not make a 180 degree turn, like from a mathematician to a singer or something, but you could probably yeah. take some of those logical skills and become a programmer or a, a teacher or something. I don't know. Well, and I think that's an embodiment of what you said about being a solutions finder, right? That's just mm-hmm. solutions finding applied to career discovery and skill development of you're not going to let yourself just fall into a, a, you know, a predefined box of what your major says. You can actually branch out and, and apply yourself and differentiate yourself and yeah. forge a, a remarkable career regardless, you know? So, and I, and I love that book, by the way, The Adjacent Possible was such a, a game-changing concept. I'd recommend everybody who hasn't read that book, so good they can't ignore yes. you, go check it out. <laughs> that is yeah. on my essential books list, and I hope everyone takes the time to read it, or I listen to it on Audible, actually, but uh, sure. either way, just amazing book. Um, so I'm curious, now that you're done with school, but you have all these do-it-yourself skills, what are you, what are you teaching yourself right now, and how are you doing it? Um, that, that's a great question. So I'm teaching myself right now how to play piano, which okay. is, um, I've always wanted to do it, but I, I, I chose it because I spend so much time in the digital virtual theoretical world. And you, you kind of become this, like, if you're not careful, you become this abstract disembodied person that just exists online. Mm. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, uh, the appeal of the piano was to it, like, it's more tactile. You have to work with your hands and kind of engage your whole body and brain in it. Um, so that's been cool. And I've just been using like a basic self-taught instructional kit of DVDs and practice exercises. 
Um, I have been learning how to cook, which is similarly, um, you know, forces you to use your hands and get out mm. away from the computer and your desk. Um, and honestly, the the most ongoing source of learning that I have is running DIY degree itself because I, I don't know if you feel this way about what you're what you do, but I kind of look at my business and my website as kind of a laboratory that forces me to always be making experiments and trying stuff and you know challenging assumptions and uh, you know just making observations and trying to get smarter and better. Um, yeah. So that's that's been great, um, and it's kind of a microcosm of DIY degree itself that running the the movement is forcing me to continue to be a self directed learner. So it's been really gratifying. Yep, the exact same situation with College Info Geek, and uh, I don't know like if you've done podcasts or videos or anything, but just the process of learning how to make those so involved, yep. and I've I've learned so much about like I have a mixing board sitting next to me now that wasn't there three days <laughs> right, ago, and right. now I have to learn <laughs> how to do all that. So I've got some good friends who know audio engineering stuff, and they're helping me learn it. But I, you know, it's it's very educational just trying to create things. Yeah, and it and it's sort of a built-in safeguard against you ever stagnating because mm-hmm. you know if a if a business or a website isn't growing, it's dying, and that yeah. forces you to to keep learning. And so that's um something to be grateful for. That's one thing. I, I, yeah, I've been realizing that like the growth is actually more satisfying than just being like at a big mark. Like if I if I had the option of making my website pop onto everyone's phone and computer right now in the world, I wouldn't take it. Because right. Tomorrow, like that spike would be over and there would be nowhere else to go. You know, exactly. It would kind of take away the the moving target that gets mm-hmm. you out of bed in the morning. You know, yeah, I think that's what it is. You know, like you can be very goal based, but there always needs to be. Uh, a next goal or it always needs to be a journey of some sort. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I just heard somebody tell a a great little anecdote about that recently that I'll share because I think it crystallizes that point. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the doors, Jim Morrison, the doors, the band, um, back in the day when they were just becoming famous, apparently they got, um, green lighted to play the Ed Sullivan show, which back then was a huge deal. Mm. Right. And so, but they were told that in order to perform, they had to change some of the lyrics in their song, light my fire. Cause they were a little too sexual or risque or whatever. Yeah. And so they were like, all right, we'll change it. We'll change it, whatever. And they go on stage and they just sing it normal and they don't change it. And, <laughs> and after the show, Ed Sullivan bursts into their dressing room and is furious. Like you will never play the Ed Sullivan show again. And Jim Morrison's like, we just did play the Ed Sullivan show. Like, I don't need to do it again. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's kind of a snobby way, a snobby <laughs> example, but I think that characterizes a lot of motivation and goal setting where um, it's good to still have something to shoot for. And a lot of times um, the journey really is part of the reward. So, yeah, definitely. Cool, man. So, this has been a great conversation. Um, so, if people want to check out DIY Degree, like, what exactly will they find there besides the blog? So when you go to uh, doityourselfdegree.com, you'll find the blog. You'll find um, the opportunity to join my email list where I share a lot of free, you know, useful tips that um, you can use right away um, to uh, begin to plan out what a test out strategy would look like for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put a lot of effort into making the strategy palatable and understandable to somebody who is hearing about it for the first time. So if any of what you've heard in the last you know half hour or so has piqued your interest and you want to find out, uh, go below the iceberg a little bit, find out some more information, see if it might be right for you. Um, you'll find a lot of free material on my email list and throughout my website as well. Cool. So I guess to, to wrap this up, um, we've talked about a lot here, but is there any like common question you get from people a lot that we didn't cover here? Yeah, there is one thing I'd like to cover that does come up and I find pretty fascinating. So 
invariably when I blog about this on other blogs, like I've written for the Art of Manliness and other websites, and when I blog about testing out to a lot of people who are hearing about it for the first time, I get two reactions that are completely polarized. One person says, isn't testing out just a shortcut? Like, it's not really academically rigorous. You're just taking the easy way out and, you know, testing out of the course. But then other people reading the same inf- uh, information on the same blog on the same day as that guy are saying, oh, this sounds way too hard. Like, in my experience, I don't think, you know, most of the students I've seen, you know, like I had one person who was like, I work at a college in the registrar's office and half those kids can't write their own names when they come in. There's no way they can mm. do this. And what's fascinating is they're talking about the same thing. And it can't be simultaneously a cheap and easy shortcut and also heroically impossible. Right. And so what I want to clarify for people is that it's actually not, it's actually neither of those things. It's, it's a uniquely challenging experience that anyone smart enough to be listening to this podcast and thinking it over probably has it within themselves to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say don't listen to ignorant people who've never done it and will never do it. Try to define it for you. Um, it's not a shortcut and it's not impossible. It's just challenging. You can do it. And I think it's worth trying. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. It's not too, too solidify in your mind that it's not impossible because a lot of people just sort of like come from this position of secondhand ignorance where they don't even know what the process would be. They literally just hear about it and they like all of a sudden formulate an idea of what it would be like and whether or not it's doable or worth it or anything like that. Yeah, and I think seldom, you know, seldom does that map match the territory. You know, the assumptions Mm -hmm. people often make about it often turn out to be wildly off base and exposed as wrong when they do it for themselves and see what it really is. So, absolutely. Cool. Hey, so you got doityourselfdegree.com. Do you have like a social networks that you want people to follow you on or connect with you at? Yeah, you could connect with me on Twitter. Um, My handle is at J-A-Y-P-C-R-O-S-S, J-P Cross, or at D-I-Y Degree. Um, Otherwise, you can go to doityourselfdegree.com and check it out. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. This was an awesome interview. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jay Cross, and hopefully you found a way to potentially save a buttload of money in college. Uh, I never actually tested out of any classes myself, but I did do some... some, uh, some independent study stuff and i had friends who did test out so it's definitely an option definitely something you should look into something you have to be very proactive about so definitely uh write something down if you want to do it because you need to take action on it but anyway it is an option a very good one and hopefully you learn something useful here that you can apply to your own life so hey if you want to find my favorite resources for students ways to save money on textbooks uh, productivity tools and apps and all sorts of different cool things i like my list of essential books for students lists of blog and YouTube channels and podcasts and all sorts of cool things that I recommend that I enjoy myself, then head on over to collegeinfogeek.com slash resources where all that stuff is listed. I'm actually going to be upgrading that page in the near future, but it's pretty good now, I think. Beyond that, if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do it at cigpodcast.com. There is a link to uh, to directions on how to subscribe and also review and rate the show on iTunes if you would like to. That immensely helps the show go up the rankings in iTunes and uh, become visible to more students. And that makes me very happy. And I will love you for approximately until the heat death of the universe. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that's it next week. I will see you in the next episode, which will be the 50th one. Yes. Until then, stay cute. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com. 